This is the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers, helping you prioritize your health, happiness and well-being so that you can thrive in the classroom and in life. I'm your host, Ellen Ronalds Keane, reminding you that you're a person first and a teacher second and you are allowed to look after you. Welcome back to Season 5 of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast. If you're just joining us for the first time, welcome. I'm Ellen, the founder of Self-Care for Teachers, and it is my absolute passion to give teachers permission to look after themselves as people first and teachers second, and to spread this message of teacher self-care so that together we can create healthy, happy, and thriving school communities that are sustainable over the long haul. There are four great seasons to catch up on, so while you wait for the next instalment of Season 5 to be released, dive into the archives and enjoy. Today I'm going to be sharing five steps to changing your health habits and improving your well-being as a teacher. When I'm coaching teachers and running live webinars or presenting workshops and retreats, you tell me that your habits are something that you know undermines your well-being, especially as the busy times of term set in. So hopefully this episode will be quite timely for you and will help you cultivate well-being habits that support your health and happiness, not just on the school holidays, but throughout the year as well. But before we get to that, I have some really important thank yous to share. In case you don't know, podcasts are free to listen to, but they're not free to make. And if you've been paying attention on the socials, you know I ran a successful crowdfunding campaign earlier in the year to make season five of this show possible. I want to publicly thank the people who supported this show via that possible campaign. So, in no particular order, a big shout out goes to Naomi Arnold, Jessica B, Penny C, Beck, Kelsey, Jessica D, Amanda Rutzi, Leanne, Jess H, Amarina, Marie Therese, David Macefield, Valda, Carly Nimmo, Naomi C, Sarah, Phil, Miranda, Katrina Burke from Katrina Burke Coaching, Katie McRae from See Me Know Me Teach Me, Jessica Turlick from Lead and Inspire, Trudy from Teachers Thriving, and Zoe from My Smart Community. There were also a number of wonderful, wonderful people who contributed to the crowdfunded campaign who wished to remain anonymous, and I completely respect their wish. However, I do want to give them a shout out here as well without mentioning names. So thank you, dear anonymous supporters. You know who you are, and I am truly grateful. Without these wonderful supporters, all of them, this season simply wouldn't be happening. So thank you to everyone who contributed, both in the form of dollars and also in other ways like sharing the possible crowdfunding campaign on social media. Every little bit really does help, and your support is greatly appreciated. And last but definitely not least, I want to say a big thank you to my podcast producer, Angie. You are a star, and I'm so grateful for your work on this show. Thank you, Angie. Now, season five, we've got some great guests coming up. I'm really excited about them, and uh, we will be in your podcatchers again weekly for the next couple of months. So, I do want to point out a few things that have changed in the world of podcasts and apps and social media and stuff since the show has started, uh, and I wanted to let you know about them in case you find them helpful. As you know, my mission here is to spread the message of teacher health and well-being and teacher self-care so that we can create 
thriving school communities and so that we can do something about the teacher burnout and teacher attrition problem that just doesn't seem to be going away, but that at least is being talked about these days. So I want you to know that one of the most powerful ways that you can do something about this yourself, it's easy to feel powerless in the face of the bureaucracy and in the face of the politicians and the media. But I do want you to know that your approach, your presence, you showing up in a positive, helpful, supportive way for yourself and for the people around you, particularly the colleagues that you work with, does make a difference, right? It's that ripple effect that, you know, starts with just the flap of a butterfly's wings, but turns into something greater. It's a chain reaction over time. So I want you to know that whatever you are doing to support yourself and help you show up to be more positive and effective and healthy and supportive to other people does make a difference. But I also wanted you to know that if you're enjoying this podcast and it's made a difference to you, sharing it with somebody else can also make a difference to them. And there's a few new ways that you can do that because technology evolves and it's really cool. So if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify, you can hit the three dots at the top and then you can share it to different social media places. So on Spotify, for example, you can share it to your Instagram stories and uh, let your friends know that you're listening to this episode. Have a play with it. It's really fun. You can do it right now. And I mean, we're all looking for recommendations for entertainment and inspiration, right? So hit those three dots and share this episode or this podcast onto your social media so your friends know that you're enjoying it. And if you're listening in the Overcast app, something that's really, really cool and that I really wish all the other podcast apps were doing, but hopefully they'll get there eventually. In the Overcast app, if there's a quote or a snippet from this episode that really stood out to you, you can actually share that audio clip directly from your app to the socials so that others can enjoy the snippet too. It's not the app I have traditionally listened in, but I think because of this feature, I'm going to start doing that because I do love podcasts and I love sharing, you know, the truth bombs that people share. So have a play with that one as well. And finally, if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about, so something specific in this episode made you think about somebody specific that you really care about and you think that they need to hear it, you think it might help them or improve their life, please do send it to them. Do it right now because it's so easy to forget to say, I'll do that later, I'll do that when I see them next and then we forget. So make a note of it, send it through to them and then together we'll be spreading this message of teacher wellbeing and creating thriving school communities and hopefully by this ripple effect, changing the state of our school system and improving the lives of our next generation, but also improving the lives of the grown-ups that are there as well right now. Okay, that's enough from me. On with the episode and we are talking about five steps to changing your health habits and improving your well-being as a teacher. Enjoy. So let's talk about change and more specifically the five steps that you need in order to change any of your health habits and improve your well-being as a teacher. Because I know that some of your habits and and improving your well-being is something that is on the top of a lot of teachers' minds. But I also know that there are a lot of teachers who feel stuck in this area. So before we even talk about the five steps, I want to talk to you about the prerequisite, or I guess it's like step zero. It's, it's, It's what needs to be in existence before you can start the five steps. And that is that you need to realize that change is possible. 
If you feel stuck right now, if you feel that whatever is going on for you in your life is permanent and forever, then I really invite you to pause and challenge that thought. Remember, you do not have to believe everything that you think. Maybe you need to go and listen to some of the previous Teacher Wellbeing podcast episodes, especially the episodes with teachers sharing their stories, and hear how they overcame challenges, hear how they made changes in their lives to their habits that improved their well-being, and know that it's possible for you too. There are a lot of messages that tell teachers that they are not good enough and that you know the curriculum, the classroom stuff, the behavior management, the parent communication, all of that has to be more. It has to be better. And now that teacher attrition and teacher burnout has become a bit of a hot topic in the media as well, and obviously with this uh, lead up to this federal election in politicians as well, you know, well-being can start to feel like just another stick that we beat ourselves up with or another stick that the media can use to bash us up with. Well-being can feel like another way that teachers are being told that they're not good enough because now, as well as being amazing teachers, excellent communicators, fantastic with the classroom management, fantastic with the relationship building with the students and the parents. We're now also supposed to be fit and healthy and eternally happy as well. It is an impossible scenario. I get it. It's a lot. And so above all, the message that I want to get through to teachers and to you if you are listening is that you are a person first and a teacher second and you are enough already and always. You do not have to do more or be more or have more or achieve more to be enough. You are already and always enough. Whether or not you're healthy, whether or not you're happy, whether or not the data coming out of your classroom is perfect, you are enough just by virtue of being here, being in existence and being you. So, please know that. And then know that if you are feeling stuck, if you are feeling like now is really, really hard, but you can't see any way out, you can't see any way that it could possibly get better, you can't even imagine that change is possible, please stop, pause, acknowledge that thought, give yourself a big internal hug, you know, be really comforting to yourself, lots of self-compassion, and then remind yourself that it is possible. Change is possible. And if you would like to create more well-being in your life, and I know that many teachers would like to, then it is possible. And it, and it does mean looking after you, the person, before you, the teacher, because you are the golden goose. If the goose isn't well, if the goose isn't happy, if the goose isn't healthy, then the eggs that that goose lays are not as likely to be golden. And if you want to lay golden eggs in your work as a teacher, Or you know what, if you just want to be able to show up and lay some kind of eggs every day and not feel like you're a battery hen in a cage, but, you know, enjoy your work and keep doing this job that you once loved, then you have to look after the goose, right? And if something is not feeling great with you, if you're stressed out of your mind, if you're having health problems, if you're feeling like you've lost your identity and you don't know who you are outside of being a teacher, If you want to stop putting your personal life on hold until school holidays or if you want to get back a level of energy and spark that you used to feel in your early career or if you're in your early career and you would like to get through this time with a level of health and well-being that stays with you, you know, keep that spark alive and make this teaching thing a long-term sustainable option for you, then you know, step zero, before we get to the five steps of creating more well-being or changing healthy habits, step zero is just to know that it is possible. And if you need a little inspiration of how possible it is, then go and check out all the previous episodes of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast, especially the teacher stories, the ones with real teachers sharing their journey. 
so that you can hear firsthand from other teachers who've made the changes that benefited them as a person first and a teacher second. And it does benefit both, right? If you look after the person, you're looking after the teacher as well. So it is possible. But the thing is that change is hard. It is hard. It is scary. Change is uncomfortable and there are no guarantees. We know that any change that we make, the the results are not guaranteed. And so that sort of increases the fear factor for us. And that's why people can take so long to ever make a change that the whole world around them can see is necessary. But until suddenly something suddenly makes them, they don't feel committed or they don't feel courageous enough or they just don't feel up to making that change. And change is a process. And once you know that it's possible and that you know that there is a process involved and that it doesn't happen overnight, so you're not setting yourself up for you know unrealistic expectations, then once you know that, you can actually start implementing that process and creating some transformation in your life in whatever area that is. So I'm going to share with you today five steps to changing your health habits and improving your well-being as a teacher. But I do want to just share as well that I'm not talking about any externally imposed change. So I suppose that's the disclaimer on this episode. I'm going to be talking about you making a change or a series of habit shifts in your life. And I know that there are a lot of changes that are imposed on teachers at work that we don't get a choice about that are just thrust upon us. Those are not the kind of changes I'm talking about here. But I do want you to know that if and when there are changes thrust upon you at work or in life, and let's face it, they will happen. We know they will. And if you want to cope better with those externally imposed changes, then some of these steps can be helpful and useful to you as well. But yeah, change is tough and it's even tougher when you don't feel like you had a choice and that it was just forced upon you. And another disclaimer I want to make is about the language I'm going to use in this episode. So when we're talking about change, there's obviously like a before and after comparison. I'm not going to use the words good and bad. Shakespeare says nothing is either good or bad, but thinking makes it so. I'm going to use words like resourceful and unresourceful or healthy and unhealthy or helpful and unhelpful. And also the question of does it serve you? Is it working for you or is it not working for you? Is it not? Do you feel like it's not serving you? And the reason I'm going to be using those words instead of good or bad is because I don't want to put a value judgment on anything that is going on in your life. And I also don't want to put a value judgment on particular health habits. Obviously, there are some things that we know are, you know, scientifically validated to be unhealthy for us. Smoking, abusing substances, not sleeping, not exercising at all. But then when it comes to your individual life, there's a lot of shades of gray and there's a lot, you know, in my opinion, there's a lot of level of if it's working for you and it's helping you cope and you feel like it's not causing too many huge adverse consequences, then that's okay, right? You can only do what you can do with the resources that you have at the time. So I'm going to be using some examples of behaviors that are things that science tells us are healthy for us or unhealthy for us and or things that I know a lot of teachers who either come to work with me or message me are looking to change. There's a lot of commonalities, I suppose, in the kinds of changes people are trying to create in their life to improve well-being. So I'm going to be using some examples of behaviors, but just know that if something is working for you and it's on the list of things that I might mention as unhelpful or unhealthy, you know, if it's working for you, that's what matters to you. And if something isn't working for you and I don't mention it, or if somebody else says it's healthy and it's great for them, but for you, it really feels unhelpful, 
then just listen to that inner voice. This is an individual process. This is differentiation, differentiation for you and your life and your health and well-being. It's obviously this is a generalized episode. There's going to be lots of generalizations, but your individual health and well-being needs, they need your individualized, differentiated approach. And also maybe you need some specialized support from a qualified health practitioner who can give you individualized advice for your specific situation. So those are my two disclaimers. We're mainly talking about internally driven change, but know that if you're feeling like there's changes being imposed upon you from the outside at work or in life, some of these steps can be really helpful for you too. And just know that the language that I'm using is not supposed to be a value judgment at all. It is, however, based on a lot of the commonalities that I see and also based on what we just know is good for human bodies and human minds. Okay, so let's talk about the five steps to changing your health habits and improving your well-being as a teacher. So step number one, once you have realized that change is possible, step number one is to decide to make a change and to really commit to it. And this can only happen when the pain of staying the same has become greater than the pain of change. I'm going to say that again. Change can only happen when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change. So if you want to quit smoking or you want to give up drinking or declutter your house or get out of debt, or maybe it's more physical, it's maybe you want to lose weight or get fit or improve your sleep, or it might be in your relationship, you want to improve your relationship with your spouse or stop talking shop with your friends when you catch up on the weekend stop bitching about that difficult colleague or that difficult student. You know, you you want to rediscover your identity as a person outside of your role as a teacher. Whatever the change is, you have to really sit with the problem that it's causing now and you then have to really make a commitment to yourself and to the change that you want to make. So I'll say this again, change only happens when the pain of staying the same outweighs the pain of change. Change is really challenging. It's uncomfortable. It's usually more work than not changing. And it sometimes can be isolating. And it's just plain hard. It's just difficult. And none of that means that it's not worth it, but it does mean that you will need to have a level of commitment that can keep you from quitting, from giving up when the going gets tough. So people only make change when it's more challenging not to make the change than it is to make it. Change will be a challenge, it will be hard work. If staying the same is more challenging, is more hard work, is more pain, that's when change is going to happen. And it's an individual journey for everyone. When and where and why that tipping point happens for one person can be entirely different from where the tipping point happens for another person. And if you feel like you want to make a change of some type, that's a really good indication that you're getting further towards that tipping point. But before you can really make the change, you need to decide that it is what you want and that you are going to prioritize it and really commit yourself to your reasons why you're doing it. So I actually have a free worksheet to step you through this in the freebies library in the resource room. And it's a process that I also take clients through in coaching. But the gist of it is to sit with and ask yourself how specifically the current situation or behavior is a problem for you. Really focus on the status quo, what that is, and how it's problematic. So you can journal on it, you can talk it out with a trusted person, And then once you are clear on how it's causing you pain right now to stay the same, then you need to ask yourself how you would like it to be. What is the new, healthier, more resourceful habit or behavior or situation that you would like to work towards creating? 
And again, journal on it, talk it out with somebody you trust. Once you've been through that process, then you can really commit to making that change and to prioritizing it for your highest good. So that's step one. Decide that you want to change and commit to it. And again, I've got a free worksheet in the resource room if you want to go and check that out. So step two is to make a plan. We all know this. Failing to plan is planning to fail. You are much more likely to succeed if you take a minute or a month, (laughs) I recommend the latter, to plan your approach and get organized. It's really easy to get swept up in the desire and the initial enthusiasm. But let me say again that change is hard. Change is a challenge. Real, long-lasting, life-improving change doesn't happen by accident or overnight. And it's really unlikely to happen without effort on your part. So take the time and effort to make a plan, to gather your resources, to do any research that you feel like you need to do, to get any equipment you need, have a look at your schedule, talk to your support network, and just basically arrange your life to support you in making the change. Do not rush this step. It's really easy to be impatient. You know, I think this is what happens with a lot of New Year's resolutions. It's five to midnight and you suddenly think, yeah, this year I'm going to lose weight or get out of debt. But you have no plan around it. You've got a great sense of enthusiasm, but by not making a plan, that's usually how people fall off those New Year's resolutions by midway through January. So if you have suddenly realized that you want the situation to change and you you just want to get in and get it done, I understand. I invite you to direct that energy into focusing on planning your changes strategically so you will have a much better chance of success. It's totally okay to say, you know what? I really want to make this change in my lifestyle, you know, change this habit to be more healthy, but report cards are coming up next week and I just know that that will derail me as soon as I start because I won't have the foundations in place yet. So I'm going to just do the best I can to stick it out until after report cards this time and then I'll get started properly and I'll have a plan and I'll put the foundations in place. And that way when report cards come around next term, I'll be in a much better place to maintain the changes during that busy time because I will have set myself up for success. So take your time to make a plan. It means you will be able to really see the changes through sustainably and realistically maintain them during real life because it's no good making a change that only fits in the holidays because the school holidays are not most of your life. We want you to be healthy and happy and thriving during the school term as well. So you need to be planning for the reality of what the school term is like and for the demands on you you know, in school and also in your life and planning to be able to maintain these changes realistically during that real life term time. And now while you're making your plan, that's step two, you're going to want to take into account step three and four. So step three is to get support. You don't have to do it alone. Almost nobody, probably nobody, who is a high achiever in the world does it alone. They most likely have a coach or a mentor or a mastermind or a group or individual that they can turn to for a pep talk and or a course correct when it's necessary. You know, athletes have coaches, people who want to get fit have a personal trainer, people who have a health condition and need to change their eating might go to a dietitian. Some lucky people get Marie Kondo to come to their house and help them declutter for a Netflix TV show. So you don't have to do it alone. Whether you are wanting to make a change within your work, like pulling out of an extracurricular activity that you've been running or no longer participating in the Friday afternoon junk food and beer that seems to be the only way your colleagues socialize 
or maybe you simply want to make some health and well-being changes in your personal life, I highly, highly recommend that you get a coach or a mentor or an accountability buddy. I truly believe in the power of accountability and of coaching. It's why I trained in the modality and I have seen firsthand the improvements clients can make in their lives through the process. So get some accountability and support. It can be the difference between giving up or sticking with it when it gets hard. And remember, change is challenging. You will find yourself slipping back into old habits and making mistakes and being tempted by old behaviors. That's normal. That's actually a part of the change process. It's sort of always going to be two steps forward, one step back. And that's okay. And having support can help keep you on track or help you pick yourself up and get back on the bike when you've fallen off. And not only can a coach encourage you when it gets hard or a support person encourage you when it gets hard, it's also really great to have somebody trusted witnessing your journey so they can pat you on the back and congratulate you for the wins. So for the challenges and for the successes, it's a really great idea to have support around you. But another reason to have support is that change isn't only hard on you, it can be really hard on the people around you as well. And sometimes people around you will actively get in the way of your change. And it's not necessarily about you. It's just that it's hard on them when you change as well. And so you need to expect that. You know, maybe your spouse will find your new exercise routine impacts their schedule as well. Or your teaching buddy finds your decision to pull out a Friday afternoon drinks to be an affront to them. Again, it's not about you. It's whatever's going on for them. And then they make comments to you about it. And what other people think can really help or hinder our progress. So of course you can and you should ask for their support in advance to try and avoid any of that negative fallout. But you can also turn to your coach or your accountability buddy to remind you of all the reasons that you are making the right choice for you so that when those people do pipe up with their criticisms, you don't take it to heart or you don't let it derail you. So step three is to get support, and that support needs to be in your plan. It needs to be part of your step two process. Now, the other thing that needs to be part of that planning process is step four, which is to identify your triggers and possible pitfalls so that you can avoid them or remove anything that's going to hinder your change. This can mean a lot of things, but essentially it's about looking ahead, thinking about what could possibly derail you in those tough moments, and trying to avoid that proactively. So it might be unfollowing pages on Facebook that get you all riled up and keep you scrolling late into the night. Or maybe you do like what I did and actually delete some of the social media apps from my phone altogether so that I know that I'll only be looking at it on a you know desktop, which I'm certainly not going to be ever doing in bed. So <laughs> I'm at least protecting my sleep in that regard. You might need to have a rule that certain junk foods never come into the house. You just remove them from the shopping list entirely. And maybe you also have another rule that you don't go shopping hungry because otherwise you know you'll put those foods in the basket. Perhaps you cut up your credit cards so you can't take them with you when you go shopping. Or maybe you only spend time with friends in certain situations where cigarettes or alcohol or binge eating isn't going to be a temptation for you. Maybe you need to avoid certain people in your life altogether for a while until your new habits and behaviors are more solid. And this last one's a really tough one because it's something a lot of people find themselves facing. A certain person in their life was the person that they always did X, Y, Z behavior with. And now that they want to change that behavior, that person is a trigger and the relationships need to change. And whether it's too many drinks on a Friday night or binge eating whenever you go to the movies or 
making really poor lifestyle choices during report card week because you just let it overwhelm you, whatever it is, maybe it's staying up too late scrolling social media or gossiping and whinging as the only means of connecting with your colleagues, whatever it is, identify what people and situations are a trigger for you for the old behavior that you're trying to change and remove them altogether or at least avoid the triggers where possible. Of course, you can't avoid everyone in your life and you can't avoid everything that could possibly stress you out. You can't avoid report card week, but you know it's coming. So plan for that, right? Plan for what the triggers are for you in report card week or in parent-teacher interview week or whichever week of the school term that you know is full on. Plan for those times knowing that they're going to be an added stress and that you need to make some adjustments or you need to set yourself up in advance for success to maintain your healthy habit during that time. You know, think about ways you can still manage the relationships that you might be needing to navigate while making the change. Obviously, I recommend letting people know in advance that you're making the change, particularly people you know that it will impact and asking for their support to try and kind of get in ahead of any negative reactions that you might have. But just think about ways you can still manage those relationships while making the change. As for, you know, objects or situations, work out if they're things that you can cut out completely and altogether or if they're situations that might trigger that behavior or, you know, smoking or drinking or binge eating or whatever it is, scrolling social media at 2 a.m. Work out if they're things that you can just get rid of completely or if you need to have a new plan of attack in certain situations like socializing in a different way with people so that you're not tempted to do that behavior. So step four is identifying your triggers for the old behavior or the old unhelpful habits that you want to change and really planning how you can proactively prevent it becoming an issue for you going forwards. Again, we're setting ourselves up for success by planning what might be the thing that makes success more difficult and then trying to avoid it or overcome it proactively. And then once you've got your plan and you've started implementing your changes, Step five is to actually track your progress because you're going to need to keep showing up for you. You're going to need to have patience. Change takes time. It's, you know, long lasting change of whatever type will take a while to happen. And also it'll take a while to become your new normal and a while to overcome any protest behaviors and, you know, tests and and difficult situations for yourself and with others as well. It, It can take a while for it to become a new normal for other people as well as for you. Let's face it, change can also be kind of boring. The kind of change we're talking about, healthy habits, are often just not as fun as the unhealthy habits. It's easier and more comfortable to stay on the couch instead of going for a run. It's more fun to go out for a big night partying instead of leaving after dinner and getting a good night's sleep. But healthy habits are more enjoyable long term. They might not be as fun, but they're also usually an absence of the pain that those unhealthy behaviors can result in. So the absence of a hangover or the absence of other health conditions or discomforts that those behaviors were causing or are going to cause in the future if you keep doing it. I'm a huge fan of tracking habits. For me, and I think for a lot of people, it's just a great way to keep the change and the new habit a top of mind every day. And also to give you some real and useful data to see the outcome of all your effort because a lot of the changes that you will make are not necessarily visible to the outside world or certainly not immediately. If you're going to try to lose some weight or if you're going to declutter your house, obviously, eventually, those things may be visibly obvious to other people. But in the early stages, 
even though you've made some maybe dramatic changes, it might not look like anything's changed to anybody else. So if it's invisible to other people, that can often actually mean that it is invisible to us as well. And that can be an added challenge because we can feel like we're not making progress even though we know we are. So tracking can be a great way to see the changes. And depending on the kind of change you're trying to make and the kind of tracking that you want to do, obviously there's a bazillion apps out there that can help you track daily and weekly and monthly and other stats about your goal. And they usually spit out lovely, you know, graphs and charts and and pretty ways to visually see the changes, which is really great. And most of us have a phone with us most of the time these days. It can be pretty easy to just chuck it into the tracker. But I personally am a huge fan of a simple checklist or spreadsheet on paper. And that's partly because one of my personal health habits is to reduce screen time. So apps are really great. And I do really like the pretty graphs and things that they spit out. But they also kind of interfere with my screen time thing. So I do like paper. And it's also because I just like the visual that I get from seeing a whole bunch of ticks on a page. You know, I can see the week or the month of ticks uh, and it helps keep me motivated and it's easy to fill out. Like really, if it's visible on my desk or in the kitchen or in the bedside table and it doesn't take very long, I can quickly tick and flick it. It's quick to update every day, which is a good thing because life is full and there's many demands on our time, right? Uh, So anything that I can do to make it easier for me to stay on track, I will try and do. So any kind of change that you want to make in your life for your health and well-being is likely going to take a long time. It's not a one and done thing. It's long term and it means consistently showing up for yourself and tracking can be a great way to help you do that, to help show up for yourself consistently and see how far you've come as well. And again, I've got a free worksheet, just a a little tracker page that you can use. It's in the resource room. So go to www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash library to check that out. And I also have a whole year planner and healthy habits tracker, which you can also get on my Teachers Pay Teachers store. So go to Teachers Pay Teachers and search for self-care for teachers and you'll be able to find it. So that's step five. Tracking is step five. Stick with it. Just keep working the plan that you made. Have a lot of patience and then use some kind of way to track your progress to keep you motivated over the long term. Now, let's do a quick recap. So the five steps, well, step zero Once you know change is possible, step one is to decide and commit. Remember, change will only happen when the pain of staying the same has become greater than the pain of change. So you got to figure out where that tipping point is for you. And then once you've reached it, you decide and commit. And step two, you make a plan. Make a plan to set yourself up for success with the change. And in your plan, you need to consider step three and four, which is get support. You do not have to do it alone. And identify what your triggers are, any possible pitfalls or things that you think might derail you and try and plan for them, avoid them proactively in advance if possible. And then step five, once you're making that change, track that progress so that you can make it visible to you. You can see how far you've come and it can really help encourage you and motivate you to stay on track while you make those long-term sustainable, realistic changes to improve your health and well-being. I do have one bonus tip, which is to have loads and loads of self-compassion during the change process. Did I mention that change is hard? Because it is. Change is challenging and it is uncomfortable and it is a lot of patience required because change, what we're talking about here, is usually going to be a long-term thing. So you need to have a lot of self-compassion for yourself during the process and you also need to give yourself extra self-compassion if you do find that you 
make a mistake or slip back into your old habits, know that it's normal. Don't beat yourself up. It is kind of part of the change process too, which is why having support is so important. So I do really recommend throughout the change process, keeping self-compassion on the top of your priority list every day so that you can keep showing up for you and so that you really give yourself as much internal support as you can. You're doing the best that you can with the resources that you have and that's wonderful. You're showing up for you and that's wonderful. So if you stuff up or if it's hard or if you're just tempted to go back to the old behaviors, self-compassion is the name of the game, right? So my questions for you today as we wrap this up is what changes do you want to make in your health and well-being? Has the pain of that change, the effort, the energy required, the challenge, the difficulty, has that become more attractive to you than the pain of whatever's going on for you right now, the problems of staying the same? Have you reached that tipping point yet? And if not, do you need to reach rock bottom before you make that tipping point or can you actually just pause and get really in tune with yourself and make the decision and the commitment to yourself that this year, this time is going to be different? And then do you have a plan? Have you got support? Do you know what your triggers and pitfalls are? Are you setting yourself up for success? Are you tracking your progress? What is the plan for keeping yourself on track over the long haul? And by the way, these are all things I can help you with in my role as a wellbeing coach. My job is to hold space for you to wrestle with these questions and to support you in making the changes that you want to make in your life that are going to benefit your health and wellbeing. And As a byproduct, they will also benefit your career and your effectiveness and efficiency as a teacher as well. So if that sounds like the kind of support you're looking for, book a free intro call with me and we can talk about whether it's the right fit. You can do that at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash coaching. I'll pop a link in the show notes as well. And remember, you can also find some helpful worksheets, including the Healthy Habit Tracker and a sort of self-coaching worksheet and as well as a free training about healthy habits hacks in the resource room, in the freebies library on the resource room. So you can find that at selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash library. And as always, remember that you are a person first and a teacher second, and you are so worthy of wonderful well-being in your life. You're so worthy of transformation and improved health and happiness, and you are worthy of your own care. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast brought to you by Self-Care for Teachers. If you've enjoyed it, go ahead and subscribe in your chosen podcast player so you don't miss an episode. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify, hit the three dots, share it to your Facebook or Instagram stories and let your friends know that you're listening. And if something in this episode made you think about a teacher that you care about and you think they need to hear it, send it to them now. Let's spread the message of teacher well-being and together we can create thriving school communities. Show notes for the podcast can be found at www.selfcareforteachers.com.au forward slash podcast. And you can find me on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at selfcareforteachers. Season five of the Teacher Wellbeing Podcast is proudly supported by Katrina Burke Coaching, Teachers Thriving, Zoe from My Smart Community, Jessica from Lead and Inspire, and Katie from See Me, Know Me, Teach Me. As always, remember you're a person first and a teacher second, and you are worthy of your own care.